1: with BC's minister of finance Selena Robinson and I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show minister thank you very much for coming on this morning
2: thank you for having me mike
1: okay minister let's start with your cooling off period in in real estate this is one that's getting a lot of attention here in BC we've talked a lot about it on the show here the government saying that we'll give buyers of homes an escape clause here to get out of a deal why is the government doing that
2: well, we've certainly seen in our very active um, housing market, uh, lots of people who are actually waiving, uh, conditions on their offers in order to even have them considered. And if we think about what, you know, what conditions mean, typically it's about, you know, creating the, putting down a deposit and then making sure that you can get the financing you need. And, and also, uh, incredibly important, I think, is to, is to have a home inspection done to make sure that you, you kick the tire, so to speak. There's someone who comes in professionally assesses sort of, is this house, uh, you know, have, have have good bones and is it you know, yeah. worth what you're, what you're offering and making sure that you understand what you're buying. Um, and because people are waiving these conditions because that's the only way they feel like they can get their offer even looked at, um, is that, that they, they risk actually making a purchase that they, they either they can't manage financially, uh, we've certainly heard from um, mortgage brokers about that, that concern, or they, they they make a purchase in a home that they actually can't live in because it has mold or other right. uh, significant challenges that require significant renovations, so, and that's not what they thought they were buying.
1: Okay, so how long is the... The cooling off period, like how long after you agree to buy a home, can you then just get out of the deal? Like are you talking days or weeks later? How, how long is it?
2: We're, we're likely talking days. We already actually have a right of rescission that already exists on the books for, for uh, pre-sale. Um, when someone's building a condo, they can pre-sale. There is a seven day right of decision that already exists in our books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, we've asked the BC finance services authority back in November to start to go out and do consultation with the industry, with everyone in the industry, to find out what makes the most sense. Um, so I'm, I'm anticipating, and based on what we've been hearing as well, uh, days is what we're talking about. Um, because again, you know, in a in a in a more normal market, a, a, you know, one where there isn't this sort of this hyperactivity. Typically, you know, you had a few days to get your financing in order, you had a few days to get an inspector in to get the report, and then to make sure that your offer, you know, was solid based on all the information that you had. Uh, Um, And so we're we're creating a, a, you know, uh, a little bit of space to get that important information that, that people need.
1: How will this cool down this overheated housing market and make homes more affordable in a market that is clearly unaffordable for most people? Because it seems to me like this potentially has the opposite effect, because if you're bringing in uh, a rule that makes it encourages people to put in a bid on a property, if they know they've got some wriggle room to get out of it. Could that not be an encouragement for people to continue to, to bid on homes and drive prices up even higher?
2: Well, first of all, we've been really clear that, that, that this piece of legislation is a, is a consumer protection piece of legislation. This is about oh. a home buyer protection period. This is about providing home buyers with some comfort uh, and, uh, and, and reducing some of the risk that they've been forced to, to adopt. Uh, we also are looking at and have asked the D.C. Finance Services Authority to take a look at if you put in an offer and you rescind that there, that there should be a penalty. Um, and we've asked them to come back and, and give us some advice on what that should look like so that it's not like you just get to put in an offer and walk away with no consequences. So, yeah, people so- need to be mindful and thoughtful so that they'll, they'll be wise um, and, and thoughtful about about the offer that they put in.
1: Right. Okay. let me play a clip here for you, Minister. There's been some criticism of this cooling off period. And get your thoughts. So this is Tom Davidoff, the housing uh, expert and commentator over at UBC. And here is his thoughts on this cooling off period. Then I'll get your thoughts on it.
3: I don't think this is in any way intended to be a solution to expensive uh, housing market. If anything, this will raise the price of housing because people can go into transactions with more confidence. If I know that uh, after I purchase a property, suppose I'm thinking of paying a million bucks for it, if I know that I have a week to make sure there's nothing wrong with it. Then-
1: okay, so he, he made the point that we just discussed there that could this encourage more people to get into start bidding on homes? Like if people know they've got an escape clause, they might be saying, oh, I'll put in multiple offers all over the place. Why not? I can get out of it later, but you're saying that's what the penalty would be for, right? Like, so if you exercise the escape clause or the cooling off, you'd have to pay a penalty for doing it.
2: You, we, we recognize that. And we've asked the BC FSA, you know, to, to recommend that. And we've heard certainly from, um, from the uh, BC home inspectors association about some of the horror stories of, of couples, you know, or young families, you know, moving in uh, to a house that they purchased, they put everything into it only to discover that they can't live there because it's, you know, got mold or it's just not livable or safe and they've had to leave and, and they've been financially devastated. Uh, we've heard from uh, Paul Taylor, who's the mortgage, um, the president and CEO of Mortgage Professionals Canada, who said, you know, with, without this this sort of um, uh, this space for people to do their due diligence, right. um, you, you know, the, the, that not only can they, you know, Find out that they they can't get their financing in order, but he also said that that, that um, even sellers, you know, um, run the risk that if if people if people you know can't get their um, can't get the financing, they they are now legally you know in a binding agreement. They, there's a complicated legal process okay. to exit the transaction, and then the, then the the seller for relisting. People can infer to other purchasers that there are structural or other issues with the home because the person couldn't get the financing. So there is, you know, there is a a bit of a comfort when everyone can get all their pieces in place, which is what we have done, I would say, historically, when we have a less frenzied market. There typically, historically, has been that space to do that important work.
1: Minister, let me ask you about another issue. Today is April 1st, the B.C. carbon tax going up today by one cent a litre. We saw next door in Alberta how they're cutting gas taxes here in B.C. Gas taxes are going up. Here's Liberal leader Kevin Falcon on the carbon tax, and I'll get your thoughts on it. Under the B.C. Liberals, when we brought in the carbon tax, by law, every penny had to go back to
3: reducing your personal income taxes and small business taxes. First thing the NDP did in their first budget was strip away their revenue neutrality. They now take those billions of dollars into
4: government and waste it however they see fit.
1: Okay, Finance Minister Selena Robinson, what do you say to him, and what do you say to people who are paying that extra penny a litre in the gas, the gas pump today?
4: Well,
2: well, first what I say to Kevin Falcon is that it, it was never revenue neutral. They gave uh, you know, huge tax breaks to large corporations, so I think that's important to be really clear. Uh, what, and what I say to British Columbians, um, it's, uh, you know, it, it is one cent a litre. Um, and, um, what we've done, you, you see, with ICBC, we've, we fixed ICBC and we've had rebate checks and we've, we've lowered, um, um the rates for drivers. And so that work, you know, it has made a difference, yeah. uh, for, for, for drivers, uh, eliminating tools in the lower mainland, I think has had significant, I know has had significant impact for those who have to drive over bridges and, and, um, put money in their pockets. We've eliminated, um, transit fees for, for children under the age of 12 again hundreds of dollars uh, for, for families that they, that they don't have to pay um, and we've also seen what happened in Alberta when when the Alberta government uh, you know reduced taxes and then the, the private sector you know sucked that up the gas companies uh, increased their prices so we know that that's uh, that, that that's not the answer uh, okay. to, uh, to, to fixing the, the challenges around uh, gas prices
1: Minister I'm grateful for your time today thank you for coming okay. on
2: great. Thank you very much, Mike. Have a
1: great day. Okay, we've talked a lot on the show about the slow pace of new home building in Metro Vancouver. I spoke to Housing Minister David Eby on the show about that this week. He is says he's not happy with the pace of local building approvals in the province, especially in Metro. The City of Vancouver, though, says they are doing something about it. Let's discuss that now with my guest, Andrea Law, General Manager of Development Buildings and Licensing for the City of Vancouver. Andrea, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, Andrea, there was a big backlog of applications for new home building in Vancouver, right? Tell me about how you guys are trying to get on top of that.
5: Yeah, so we're, we're really looking at a number of initiatives. Uh, we had to react quite quickly um, to the significant increase in volume uh, that we saw, over 80% increase in, in new homes in Vancouver. So we really looked at... Um, how to how to initiate our processes differently? How to work more with industry on you know different opportunities? Um, we created a separate uh, stream for standalone laneway houses, which are sort of our simplest um, transactional new home in Vancouver. Um, right. So that. Saved about 16 weeks in terms of processing times and pulling those out. Uh, we looked at how we did our reviews. We looked at um, how many touch points um, city staff are actually making per application and really how we reduce those touch points. Uh, how to get applications out the door faster. Um, consolidating how we do our reviews. So a number of initiatives uh, that we implemented plus leveraging technology uh, wherever possible uh, to really assist with driving efficiencies in our process.
1: Okay, that all sounds great. I've talked to some home builders in Metro, though, who say that they're frustrated with the pace of approvals in the city. Some of them have told me they've been trying for years to get stuff built. Like, how how much is the backlog now? And how much has it been reduced? And how quickly can you turn around these applications now?
5: So we had a backlog of roughly 500 applications uh, that were waiting in the queue. So we knew we had to address those pretty quickly. Uh, so we, from literally 16 weeks uh, to get to review a single application, uh, we now reduced that down to four weeks. So we're, what that means is we're essentially getting back uh, to builders and designers uh, within four weeks of them submitting their application. Uh, what we're finding is they're not quite ready for us. They haven't had opportunity to adjust to our pace. Uh, so we're really looking at the impacts. Of these changes and and getting some data to really uh, gain a better understanding of what the impact is to the overall processing time.
1: I've talked to people in the home building sector who say there are like 25 steps they have to take to obtain a permit in the City of Vancouver with the process so now that you're speeding it up is that because you've reduced the number of steps and and simplified it or have you just hired sort of more staffed using the same process?
5: No, we, we looked at opportunities to drive efficiencies without um, adding additional resources. And, again, it's really about leveraging technology. It's about, you know, looking at those touch points, those 25 touch points, and where do we need to really be uh, focusing our reviews? Uh, what can we... Um, what can we coordinate with our inspectors who are doing the reviews in the field, making sure we're not doubling up and looking at the same thing uh, twice. So, it's really about uh, looking at how we do our work, uh, when we do our work, and coordinating yeah. that better with our, our industry partners.
1: Right. Okay. So, it sounds like you've streamlined the process, but you haven't like, or, or you've tried to reduce efficiencies in the process, but you haven't like, you still got to go through the 25 steps to get a permit. You no. have to reduce that. Yeah, so-
5: Oh. We are looking at reducing the touch points that 's when okay. you're, when you 're talking about the twenty five steps that 's yeah. the touch points um, yeah. so you know yeah. there are you know there are still reviews this isn 't an automated process um, ideally we 'd like to get to that place like a, a trades permit electrical gas permit which is automated there 's still yeah. touch points um, that we need to to look at uh, specific things but we 've we 've looked at what it we really examined what we 're looking at and what we don't have to look at, um, and, and sort of really looking at uh, more of a um, taking a risk-based approach to how we do our work.
1: Right, and have you heard from people in the home building sector in Vancouver, are, are they satisfied with the changes that you brought in? Have you talked to them about it? What are, what are they saying?
5: Yeah, so we have ongoing uh, conversations, uh, obviously with industry, um, and with our customers on a daily basis. We're hearing positive feedback so far, it's still early, um, and again, uh, our industry partners are taking, taking time for them to adjust to this new way of doing business. So it, it, is, a, you know, it is a transactional um, process. We, re- we rely on our customers to get back to us. Um, they're relying on us, so it's a, it's a back-and-forth process. So as we adjust, we're going to be gathering, um, as I said, analytics to really understand um, what the impacts are.
1: Right. Speaking to Andrea Law, manager of licensing for the city of Vancouver, will you be using, I've talked to people in the home building sector who said, look, why don't we really radically streamline this and let's go to like pre-zoning approval or pre-approved designs. Like you you could set up like a, a cookie cutter design for a home that could be basically rubber stamped effectively and quickly approved by qualified professionals. Is that something a city is looking at, like pre-approval, like designs that are pre-approved so that you don't have to go through all this this process?
5: Yeah, exactly. And that's getting to sort of that automated process. Um, is there an opportunity to offer that uh, to individuals who are looking for something that's more streamlined, faster? Um, yes, it is something that we are looking at and we are talking to other municipalities and cities uh, to get you know, to get uh, feedback from them, what's working um, in other areas.
1: Okay, last question for Andrea. How about dropping taxes and fees to stimulate lower home costs and rentals, as well as rent-to-own options? I mean, I've talked to lots of people in this business who are saying, look, why don't we drop the taxes, let's make this easier, let's bring in rent-to-own options. Is that something the city would look at?
5: I think that's a, a broader conversation uh, that will likely be part of uh, Vancouver plan, which will be going to council uh, this summer. Uh, it's more a cross-departmental uh, conversation, um, obviously engaging with, uh, uh, with the public as well in those conversations.
1: Okay, Andrea, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me.
5: You Appreciate bet.
1: it. All right. Let's keep talking about this unaffordable housing market now. Prices continue to rocket upwards beyond the reach of many. What is driving it? Well, how about property flipping? How much of that is going on using the real estate market? Not to buy a home for a family to live in, but as an investment to quickly resell for big bucks profits. Let's discuss now with my guest housing activist. Rohana Rezal. Rohana is the creator of the new Metro Vancouver flip map, which tracks properties being bought and flipped for big bucks. Rohana, thanks for coming on today. Uh, thank you for having me. Okay. I checked out your flip map and it's pretty amazing. Like you can open up this, this map on your phone, on your PC, and it allows you to look at it in, in a graphic fashion all across Metro Vancouver of homes that have been bought and then sold again for big bucks, right? Describe to me how it works.
6: Yeah, so what we track is when when, when we see a house being listed, we check to see when, when it was last sold. And right. if it had been sold within 12 months, um, I consider that a flip because that seems to be the standard definition of a flip and we have to make a distinction in in metro vancouver this is not the kind of flips you see on hgtv these flips are purely speculative flips this is just people betting on the price going up so they are not adding any value they're not mm. even if they say that's renovated it's mostly just a paint job because how much can you really do in, in a couple of months right because there's a there's a shortage of construction labor and you have to wait for permitting so realistically, you can't do much in a couple of months. So it's just people betting on house prices going up.
1: Yeah, and it's really, I'm taking a look at your flip map right now, and it's got those sort of pinpoints all across the city. It's kind of a graphical user interface, color-coded. And it's all over. It's all over Metro Vancouver. Like, it's just Vancouver, Burnaby, Surrey, Coquitlam, North Shore, Richmond. It's going on everywhere, right?
6: Yeah, and that's, that's the interesting part, because if you notice... Um, I've been tracking this for, for a few years now, and when I started, I saw that lots of flipping was going on in Vancouver proper, but yeah. if you take a look at it right now, it's moved deeper and deeper into the valley, and so now you see more action in places like Mission and uh, Maple Ridge. where you know, A few years ago, you wouldn't even think that people would try to flip properties there. So that's, that's what we're seeing, because they have flipped properties so much that there's very little profit in Vancouver itself, close to downtown. So they have to go further and further into Valley looking yeah. for more uh, properties with a with a bigger uh, flipping potential.
1: Yeah, there's lots of flipping going on for sure. Like, and so how much are these homes being going up in value and being resold? Like, I, I took a look at a few of them. I looked at one that looked like it had like a some have like a fifty percent markup in price less than a yeah. year earlier i mean one had a 78 percent markup There's one was priced for 3.4 million dollars you're looking at a profit of a million and a half bucks in just eight months my god yeah that's 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 the thing so and if you, if you notice how the places are just it's as is
6: so they have done absolutely no work so they just buy this property they just hold on to it for a few months And they try to sell it back at, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70% markup. And during the pandemic, um, about 8% of detached homes that have been sold have been flips. And that's, yeah,
1: so... um, Okay, it's not not illegal though, right? I mean, no one's breaking the law by buying a home and then turning it around for a big profit.
6: So that's the problem. This is strictly legal. And so people see an opportunity and they make use of it so it's up to the to the government to take some action to 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 um, crack down on this and if you if you remember the the federal liberals promised a flipping tax and a flipping tax would really go a long way towards curtailing this but that that promise has never materialized
1: okay I'm speaking to housing activist rohana rezal creator of the metro vancouver flip map which i encourage you to check out it's a very simple kind of Uh, site where you can zero in on some of these homes that are being turned around and flipped for big big profits all across Metro Vancouver. Okay, so Rohana, you mentioned that the Justin Trudeau liberals had promised an anti-flipping tax in the last election. I want to play a clip here for you. This is Liberal MP Talib nur uh who famously was deeply involved in the real estate market himself before the election and it appeared according to records had turned some big profits himself by buying and selling multiple properties. And then he ran for the Liberals and actually and he won. He won the seat. He's an MP now. So there he was running on this sort of anti-flipping platform at the same time that he had—he apparently had flipped a ton of properties and made a lot of money, too. So have a listen to this exchange here. This is a CTV reporter trying to pin him down on that. Have a listen to this. How much have you profited on those 25 in the past decade? I mean, I'm not, uh, you know,
7: I think it's important to talk about, uh, I'm going to answer that question again, so I'm going to be sure. Yeah. How much have you profited on those sales? I, when you ask I'm going to give me a second to just make sure I have the right um, okay so sorry ask me the question again <laughs> yeah, sorry
3: yeah Okay. how much have you profited personally or business wise on the sales of those 25 properties in the last decade while I can't give you an exact
7: number what I can tell you is that it is By no means the number that has been put forward. But what I can also tell you is that I am absolutely committed to any and all measures that we have put forward that would, that would apply.
1: Okay. As a liberal MP there, Talib Nur Mohammed talking about the promised property flipping tax in Vancouver and, uh, yeah, not giving very many straight answers there about how many properties he'd flipped himself. Speaking of Rohana Rezel uh, about this. So Rohana, when you listen to that, and we remember the promise of the anti flipping tax from Trudeau. Like, how would that work? How would that correct this? Yeah, so because people are uh,
6: buying and selling at, at these ridiculous markups, they're just betting on the market, and that becomes a vicious cycle, right? And because people engage in, so engage in this. Uh, this practice and that in itself drives the market so that's what i did i start i took i tracked the data and i found there's a strong cor- correlation between the amount of speculation uh, in the market and the prices going up yeah. but if there's a big tax on flipping we are talking about a 50% tax for example then it's not wow. that profitable to engage in this behavior so as that will uh, that will stop it might not eradicate flipping completely but it'll make it far less profitable and then as you reduce the amount of speculation in the market that in itself will drive the the will will slow down this this rapid increase in prices okay
1: so you okay so let's define our terms here of what a flipped property is that would potentially be subject to this tax like you've defined it in your flip map as a property that's been bought and sold within a year like 12 months so you're saying that if you buy a property and then you resell it less than twelve months later, you should be hit with a fifty percent tax You should that- be hit with a big tax um, I, I, I mean
6: the number number can be determined by the government based on various factors but right now what's happening is that most people just some people just actually claim a principal residence exemption that's sure. and if cRA might do an audit, but some people just bank on the CRA not doing an audit. And even if the CRA do an audit, it's considered a capital gain. So it's only taxed on 50% of your, your gain. So if you sell a pro- property for a million dollars, you only get taxed on half of that. Okay,
1: okay, but so what if, okay, but what if I, let's say I'm not a property tax flipper or speculator. I just buy a home and then my circumstances change. Maybe I change jobs. I've got to move quickly. And so I resell the home. And then the the home's gone up in value, which would not be the potentially the buyer's fault, but the the buyer maybe just has has to sell for some other reason, not not to make a profit, but because their life life circumstances have changed. Would you tax so, them too? No, I wouldn't, because that's that's the thing. Even right now, uh, with with
6: CRA, there are certain exemptions on if you if you if you flip a property. Uh, you can still designate it as a primary residence based on certain uh, certain exemptions. And one is that if you have to move to a different province for work, for example,
5: yeah. or
6: if your if your you family circumstances change, if you go through a divorce, for example, right. then the CRA will look at that and say like, hey, this guy has a valid reason for doing that, so we are not going to tax you. So that's it's very simple. I mean, that's that's how the taxes work, right? You 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 would always have now again the problem in in place like Vancouver is that. Obviously, some people might try to take advantage uh, advantage of that, but some system like that is better than nothing that's
1: happening right now. Okay, Rohana, very interesting. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk Bitcoin now. Is Bitcoin a legit currency that could replace or compete with the Canadian dollar? Is it a smart or a reckless investment some people love cryptocurrencies others are dubious and suspicious of it check out pierre Pauliev, the conservative mp he is running for the federal conservative leadership he is a big bitcoin booster he loves bitcoin he buys bitcoin he goes on bitcoin talk shows this week on the campaign trail for the conservative party leadership uh he went into a shawarma shop and he bought a shawarma using bitcoin have a listen to this we're going to buy this shawarma with this bitcoin
3: you ready uh, hold on he's creating an invoice he's creating me an invoice right now now listen he's going to oh yeah make sure to include the tip in there
1: as well you got the payment all right we did it come on over here come on guys we get it We bought the shawarma with Bitcoin. Yeah, we bought the shawarma with Bitcoin. This was a big campaign event for Pierre Polyev as he's running for the federal conservative leadership. He says he wants to turn Canada into the cryptocurrency capital of the world. Let's discuss now. I've got an awesome panel for you to discuss. Adam O'Brien. Adam is the founder and owner of Bitcoin. Well, he is a Bitcoin supporter. Hey, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Adam, welcome back to the show. Andy Barrar on the line. Andy is a tech and digital lifestyle expert, handy Andy Media. He's, let's say, dubious about Bitcoin. Hey, Andy. Hi, Mike. Uh, guys, thanks for doing this. Adam, let me go to you first. Pierre Polyev, a lot of people think he will become the next conservative leader. Obviously, very bullish on Bitcoin. That must make you happy.
7: Yeah, definitely. I mean, being in this industry almost 10 years, we've watched the government stance go from, I'm not sure what this is, cause this is bad to, oh, this has the potential to change the world and fix the money. And I think that's a positive thing.
1: Andy, what do you think?
0: Mike, if that's not a political pl- publicity stunt, I don't know what is. And uh, the reason he was doing that is he's trying to solve the big issue about Bitcoin is like, what can you actually do with it? Can you use it as a form of tender? And I think that's why he had that stunt to, to buy a formula out of all things with
1: bitcoin yeah so he bought the shawarma and we sort of cut down that clip there just for time purposes but it took a little while for him to actually pay for the shawarma with bitcoin it was it's not a it's not a super simple easy transaction so i don't know adam like can you are there many places where you can buy stuff with bitcoin i mean you can't go into the average fast food joint and pay with bitcoin with some notable exceptions go ahead
7: yeah, not not directly, but I think that there are ways that you can live fully with Bitcoin and only Bitcoin right now. For example, um, like you can pay for things with normal payment rails like Visa, MasterCard, whatever, and then you can go to, for example, like our website, bitcoinwell.com, and you can pay that bill off with Bitcoin. So um, I think that like the infrastructure that exists to pay with things directly in Bitcoin um, is obviously growing, but it's not super big right now. But I think the indirect ecosystem that companies like ours has created uh, definitely exists and, and does allow people to live on Bitcoin.
1: Okay, Andy, what do you think of that?
0: Well, I don't see what's wrong with the infrastructure that we currently have. You know, a lot of people, even during the pandemic, got to use TAP, and, and TAP works great with your credit card or, or your debit card. And for now, to us to completely change our infrastructure and try to get mom-and-pop shops to accept Bitcoin, you know, that's a tall task, and it's not going to happen overnight.
1: Okay, Adam, I know you want to respond to that, but let me play another clip here for you from Conservative MP Pierre Polyev running for the Conservative leadership. And he says he wants to make Canada the cryptocurrency capital of the world. And here he is. Now, listen closely to what he says here. Now, this he's appearing on a Bitcoin show here, and he's talking about inflation in Canada and how that's a problem and that people maybe should start using cryptocurrency like Bitcoin instead. Have a listen to what he says here, and then I'll get your guys' thoughts. Pierre Polyev. The federal
3: government through the Bank of Canada was abusing our money. They started printing cash to finance Trudeau's deficits, and then I started to realize that uh, this was an an inflation tax. I call it just inflation. What are people's alternatives if the government has a monopoly on currency? And I discovered that people are seeking out technological alternatives. Uh, For example, Bitcoin
1: Okay, I find this kind of unusual to hear a mainstream politician in Canada who's vying to become the leader of a major party and potentially leader of the opposition, and who knows even Prime Minister saying that people are dubious or don't have a lot of faith in our own currency and talking about using Bitcoin instead. I just I'm not sure I've ever heard that before from a major politician in Canada of, of Polyev's stature. but Adam O'Brien, you must be happy about what he's saying, right? Your thoughts.
7: Yeah, I think he's bang on. I think he too, he highlights like exactly, um, you know, the point of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not a payment rail. Bitcoin is sound money that happens to be able to act like a payment rail. And I think that he's, he's absolutely right. Like the government has manipulated the currency to a point where if you are not skeptical of the Canadian dollar, you don't have your eyes open and you're not actually looking at what's going on. You don't understand what sound money is. Our dollar right now is manipulated and is worthless.
1: So okay, okay, worthless. Wow. So, so what are you saying that you have more confidence in Bitcoin than you do in the Canadian dollar?
7: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Why? Because the Canadian dollar is printed to an endless supply, based on a very small group's uh, decisions, without the consult of the greater economy in mind. And I think that Bitcoin, which embodies all of the principles of sound money, is a much better alternative. Uh, for exactly that, sound money and savings.
1: Yeah. Okay. Polyev has made similar points. Andy, Andy Burrard, your thoughts?
0: Well, we have to understand Bitcoin has no inherent value, and and for a politician to think that he's smarter than the central bankers, that's a very scary premise. Because if he was actually in power as the prime minister, what would he do with the central bank? And that is what gives us you know stability and trust in Canada. And I understand that we're trying to solve inflation. But to just blow the whole system up altogether like that or to try to say that Bitcoin is going to be our savior it is kind of, you know, not really the right direction. And it's, it's a scary direction, if you ask me.
1: Yeah. So do you think in some ways when he's touting Bitcoin and expressing doubts about the Canadian monetary system or our currency that what he's undermining Canadian confidence in our own dollar?
0: Well, if we just go back in history, Mike, the reason we left the gold standard was it was too volatile. And then we allowed governments to control uh you know the the currencies but then to go for something with bitcoin which is already shown to be super
7: volatile is really not the answer
1: yeah yeah. adam o'brien what do you say to that
7: yeah i would argue that inherent value piece and and ask what is the what what is the inherent value of the canadian dollar if you can print money out of thin air where is the value behind that
0: it's the value in the institution of the central bank because we know how do we pay our taxes? But what we is that with the, the Canadian dollar. And that's the value right there. We don't pay our taxes in Bitcoin. Well, what don't... do you pay it in? What, what, do you,
7: pay like, it in like, what do you pay your taxes in? You pay it in Canadian dollar, which is what? If, if they can print money endlessly, why do we pay taxes?
0: Well, they, yeah. they have they the have ability have to, to look at the whole... money for, since, since we left the gold standard. And it's only being done to try to make... Like, listen, I am not a, 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 a pro of big banks. But the, we need that stability. We need that trust. We cannot go towards Bitcoin. It's something that is so volatile and has only been around since 2009. It is unproven. Not only that, just cryptocurrencies. Who's to say that there's not going to be another Bitcoin that's going to be? They don't really have a first mover advantage. And, you know, they could be the MySpace of cryptocurrencies in the near future.
1: All right. Welcome back to the show as we continue talking cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Pierre Polyev running for the federal conservative party leadership. Man, he is a big Bitcoin booster. He wants to make Canada the cryptocurrency capital of the world. He says people are looking for a hedge against inflation. Uh, man, we've got a great panel on this. Adam O'Brien, Bitcoin. Well, Andy Barrar, he's a tech and digital lifestyle expert go to your phone calls mark and langley hi mark what do you think
0: uh i just like to speak to the value of bitcoin i'd say that it has just as much value as the dollar or gold or anything it has a value because we assign it a value just like gold gold is just a rock our, our dollar is
1: just paper it's it is what we we give it as a value what do you and say we've andy? obviously given bitcoin a value right so a- andy what do you say to that
0: well, I can tell you gold is not just a rock. Gold has metallic properties that make it very, very valuable in both industry and as a precious metal that we can wear. So, that is why gold, we had the gold standard uh, in the first place. It was it was yeah, scarce, but- the scarce resource with a lot of inherent value in the metallic properties itself.
1: Okay, Adam O'Brien, what do you say to that?
7: With that mindset, things like silver and tungsten should be far more valuable than gold. The value propping up gold is absolutely not the utility behind it. It's just the legacy value assigned to it, just as the caller said.
1: Well, how is that different from Bitcoin?
7: Yeah, exactly. It's it's got a value assigned to it, just like everything else in the world. I think we're saying the same thing, that Bitcoin has a value because the market assigns it a value, which is different than the money. The money has a value because the government assigns it a value, which is very, very problematic.
1: Let's go to Corey in North Vancouver. Hi, Corey. Go ahead.
3: Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, you know, the, the biggest problem I have with, with crypto, I mean, and I, and I own several crypto coins myself, but what I, what I have is, is that it's just way too unstable. I mean, you're getting daily fluctuations between 20 30% sometimes. I um, mean, you know, I've had one coin that dropped 70% over the last two months. It's just no tangible way to actually keep your money, um, at least with the Canadian dollar, it's stable. And, of course, I can pay my taxes with it. But the only value that we have with these stupid coins is the value that we give it. And, and yeah. you know, what's going to stop the
0: whole, you know, community just saying, you know what, I, I really don't want to play with this monopoly money
3: anymore. And then it's just completely worth nothing. So um, go ahead, guys.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the call. <laughs> Adam O'Brien, what do you say to him?
3: Yeah, I would totally agree that the crypto
7: economy is that way. I call it the crypto casino, right? Everything other than Bitcoin is centralized, does not have scarcity assigned to it, and is a large, largely that entire industry um, doesn't have the same sound money principles that Bitcoin possesses. However, Bitcoin is the unique one as it's got these sound money principles programmed into the code. So if you want to play the crypto casino, I totally agree. That's not the way to, to have savings, but Bitcoin with these sound money principles, does have that savings component, which is why over the long term we've seen savings in Bitcoin to be far more stable than savings in the Canadian dollar. I think it's naive to call the Canadian dollar stable. Andy
0: Berrar, what do you say to that? The people that are trying to tell you that Bitcoin is valuable are the people that have Bitcoin, because they need somebody to seek value in it. And there's no telling that one day, like the caller said, we just kind of give up on this. And because it has no inherent value... Your investment is suddenly worth nothing. And that is the scary premise of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in, ge- in particular.
1: Okay, keep phoning me on this. 604 280 9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. Don and Cam Loops. Hi, Don, go ahead. Yes, good
4: morning. I would like to ask the gentleman how about all the people out there that don't have access to internet or uh, cell phone or uh, smartphones? How are they
2: supposed to, they don't even understand what crypto means. How are they supposed to uh,
7: be able to buy or do anything? I'd like to hear his answer on that.
1: Adam O'Brien.
7: Yeah, there's a lot more people uh, in those areas. Um, most people have access to internet, and what they don't have is access to a bank. So they can't actually access money, period, right now. And Bitcoin is actually a saving grace for those people because access to a, to a very, very old but capable smartphone that cost them less than 100 bucks, Um, with Internet access is all they need to access sound money as compared to a giant government infrastructure, especially in areas where the government doesn't work, um, like we've seen time and time again throughout the world.
1: Uh, Andy, your thoughts? Well, you
0: know, if we just look at Bitcoin as an investment, just outside of just the the technological issues of it, you know, you look at someone like Warren Buffett, who's perhaps the, the most successful investor of the world of all time. He says the same thing about Bitcoin because it has no inherent value. The people that are investing in it, you know, you could lose everything and and it's going to be worthless. It's like the tulips back in the past, how those were suddenly valuable. And then one day people decided, you know what, we don't like tulips and it was worthless. And I think that's the same you're going to see with cryptocurrencies in the future and why we should not adopt it uh, as tender or anything in
1: Canada. Squeeze another call in here. Bob on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Bob. Go ahead.
0: Uh, hi, and Bitcoin is going to be a disaster. It was invented from thin air. Uh, government support for the Canadian dollar is the only thing that makes the Canadian dollar worth anything. And he has 1,000 versions of Bitcoin out there. And wh- who's going to decide which
7: one is going
1: to uh, take over? Uh, Adam, what do you say to him?
7: Well, if the only thing backing the Canadian dollar is the government's uh, support for it, the government supporting Bitcoin, then I think that argument falls down that Bitcoin won't have any value. But there's not a thousand versions of Bitcoin. There's a big crypto economy that's largely, uh, that doesn't possess sound money principles. But Bitcoin, with its proof of work concept and its proof of work technology, does embody sound money principles, which is why it makes it different from tulips, uh, different from the Canadian dollar, and different from other manipulated currencies.
1: Andy Barrar, you got 30 seconds here to sum up. Make your final point there.
0: You know, we just got to look at the volatility of Bitcoin. Why would you want to invest in something that's been around since 2009, has shown so much volatility, and the people, the only people that are trying to tell you to, to invest in it are the people that already have it, because they want to move it into actual currency so that they can go and retire, and that's why I'm against Bitcoin.
4: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window.
1: It is springtime. The birds are singing, the flowers are blooming, and the creepy crawly bugs, insects, and other pests are on the move. It is spring pest control time. How to pest proof your home. What to do if you have an infestation of bugs or worse. Let's discuss with our expert now, Mike Laundry, owner of Westside Pest Control. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming on. Good morning. Thank you. Okay, Mike, is this a busy time of year for you over at Westside Pest Control? As the weather warms up, does your phone start ringing?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, as, uh, as people start to head outdoors, uh, the insects come to life again. And uh, we definitely start getting calls. I would say our most common call right now at this time of year is for carpenter ants.
1: Okay, let's talk about those. So so what kind of ants are those? a lot of different varieties of ants. What do the carpenter ants do? So uh, uh,
3: carpenter ants live in areas of of wood, so they like to tunnel through. Um, Typically outside, they're going to be in large old rotting stumps, but we've built structures out of wood here in uh, in B.C., which has created perfect homes for them. Uh, Unlike termites, they don't actually... Chew and ingest wood, so your house won't disappear if you have carpenter ants. But they can do significant structural damage.
1: Okay, so they can. What kind of damage can they do? Uh,
3: well, they'll they'll dig out extensive tunnels in yeah. in the beams in your in your home. So over Whoa. over months and and years, um, you may have eventually have to actually do a major renovation to the home because the structural integrity can be compromised.
1: Whoa, okay. So when you respond to a carpenter ant call like that, are they a tough job? Are they easy to get rid of? How do you approach it?
3: Uh, Well, you really need to target where the nest site is. Um, So just putting out little bait discs or doing a spray around the inside or outside of your house. Um, uh, Although it may be effective to a very small degree, you really need to get treatment inside the exterior walls, which is usually where their nests
1: are located. Okay. What can you do to keep them out of your house in the first place? Um, well, one of the things to do is to, to monitor for any
3: signs of, of water ingress. So um, if you have, if you've ever had any, any leaks on the outside of your house, make sure that you're replacing any damaged wood. Um, you're repairing cracks, stucco. Uh, if you're, if the hose bit a bib on the outside of your house is leaking on a regular basis, make sure that you get that re- repaired. Right. The biggest issue that causes um, and attracts carpenter ants to reside in a home is moisture ingress.
1: Okay, speaking of talking about springtime pest control with Mike Laundrie, Westside Pest Control, what are some other common pests that emerge in the spring?
3: Uh well, it's baby season for lots of things. So, squirrels, raccoons, skunks, they're looking for an ideal place to to start their spring family, and mm. where better than under a shed or in an attic or or crawl space.
1: Okay, how do you deal with those? Do you do like humane trapping for an animal like, animals like that or Yeah,
3: Maybe. absolutely. So, what we do is is get into the space where they're residing and and get them out of the space and then we'll seal up access points. In some situations, if there's a family of of young squirrels, what we try to do is encourage the homeowner to allow them to reside there for another six weeks until the young squirrels are able to leave, and then we'll come back and install a one-way door so they can exit and can't re-enter again. In in some situations, you've got got something like raccoons that might be doing a lot of damage to the interior of the home, so... Whenever possible, we get the little ones outside in a, in a warming box, and then mom can come back and relocate the whole family somewhere else. Racoos have usually got backup dens in multiple locations, so she's normally got somewhere else to take them.
1: That That's nice that you look out for the baby squirrels. I'm glad to hear that. But what about, okay, if you're dealing with uh, rats or mice, though, I mean, come on, we got to deal with that with extreme prejudice, <laughs> though, right? Like, you know. Well, yeah. Well, it's a
3: funny thing, you know, that uh, um, most of the squirrels that we have here are the gray squirrels, which are actually an invasive species okay, right. that, yep. that, that that legally have as many rights as, as, as rats do, believe it or not. But oh. um, uh, we treat them with a lot more care re- regardless uh when it comes to rats Though, so, um yeah you sometimes you there's nothing you can do other than than uh then deploy extermination processes when we can we install one way doors um uh we'd like to avoid poisons whenever possible and and uh, and use trapping stations in, instead or again a, a one way door what a one way door does is it allows the the rodent to get out of the structure and not return into it again.
1: What about um, one of the ones that buzz around my place sometimes in the warmer months, and I haven't seen them lately. I think they come out later, are fruit flies. They just always seem to infest uh, my kitchen. When do those start showing up, fruit flies?
3: Uh,
1: normally, as soon as it starts to warm up a little bit.
3: Um, okay. <laughs> excuse me. So it's that's that's normally a May, June, July pest. But yeah, yeah. Once, once you've got them, they seem usually almost impossible to to get rid of. So if you don't keep your your organic food waste in your freezer year-round, I'd suggest to start doing that in May.
1: Okay, I got the phone lines open right now for Mike Laundry from Westside Pest Control. It is springtime. The bugs are out. Ants, spiders, stink bugs, rats, mice, raccoons. Mike does it all. Phone up right now if you want to ask a question to an expert. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Lots of calls. Kim in New West. Hi, Kim. Go ahead.
2: Hi. I have moths. Indoor moths. They're... Tiny. They're a light brown color, and they seem to be inside.
1: Where are I, they? I, are I they just, in I, your I closet?
2: No, no. Okay. They're flying around in my kitchen in my dining room. Um, wow. I don't know where they're coming from.
3: Mike. Okay. It sounds. Uh, I'd be ninety-five percent sure that you have uh, you have pantry moths. And those can be, uh, they, they, they can be a little bit challenging to eliminate, um, but it is entirely possible. It just requires trying to locate the source and eliminate that. And usually that's going to be in, in foodstuffs. So unfortunately, a lot of the dry goods in your kitchen have probably been, been compromised. The, the only ultimate way to be sure you're going to eliminate them is, to pull all of the dry goods out, you're probably going to have to throw most of them away. If there's anything that's really important or valuable to you, you're going to want to put it in the, in the freezer for, I would say, about two to three weeks. And in addition to that, you may need to get a professional to come in and treat the inside of the kitchen, the kitchen cupboards. Pantry moss is probably what you've got. that can be eliminated but it takes a bit, a little bit of effort.
1: Okay, Kim, good luck with that one. Let's go to Sean on the line in Cloverdale. Hi, Sean, go ahead. Hi, cool, uh, question. And maybe a wrong
0: question to ask you guest. but um, the device that you plug in, the frequency, does that work? Um, so I'll wait for my answer. All
1: right, I'm having trouble understanding you. Can you repeat your question again?
0: Yeah, the device that you plug into the wall with the frequency with the uh, sound, uh, does that work?
1: To get rid of what? Sure. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike.
3: Sure. I think you're referring to the ultrasonic devices. Um, yeah. I I don't have, I'm, I'm not very c- convinced that they do a lot for insects. However, for rodents such as mice and rats, so long as there's no infestation currently in the house if you have it, if you if if there's there's nothing there then they can act as as a deterrent so oh. for uh, i've said to a couple of previous guests on the show before for garages for uh, for boat storage over the winter it's a great idea to put in at the beginning of the of the fall as a deterrent. If you have a mouse infestation, the ultrasonic devices unfortunately won't work to eliminate them.
1: Okay, so they're kind of like uh, they emit a frequency that only mice and rats can hear or something? (laughs) Yes, yeah, exactly. Some other other pets may may pick them
3: up too so you know if if you have pets you might want to experiment with a couple of different ones to find something that doesn't that doesn't bother them um, and so what but, is it what uh, is it
1: what does it do to the mice and rats it just drives them up the wall crazy and then they just get out of there well
3: yeah exactly okay. but mice and rats they they their their senses are so they're, they're they're really really highly driven by what they hear and and smell so for instance if a mouse has been living in an area for three weeks and it gets back to its home and it smells that space, it really doesn't care what it hears. But if it's entering that space for the first time and there's an unpleasant sound, then it'll go elsewhere before it decides to uh,
1: take up residence. Okay, good to know. Lori in Delta. Hi, Lori. Go ahead.
2: Hey, guys. We have these really creepy, evil little things called drain flies. Ew! Ew!
1: Ooh, drain flies. What are are they like?
2: Oh, they're like little, they look like little teeny teeny moths, and they seem to be hovering around in the bathroom. Whenever I'm blowing out my hair, there's a whole crop of them that are flying around, and my husband looked it up and concocted this, this goop to throw down the drain, and that caused them to stop for a while, and then they crop out again. So what can we do to murder them out?
1: Okay, <laughs> okay, Mike. okay, Mike. How do you murder these these drain flies, man? Well, there's actually some some really
3: some really great, um, really great foaming products that are that are totally safe even for commercial kitchens. So you don't have to drop nasty things like like Drano down the down the drain for them. That's the that's the good news. Um, uh, essentially, it it works to break up the organic matter that's that's in the drain. So this is usually the, the issue is is standing water so my guess is there's probably an issue with the plumbing somewhere under the sink so most sinks will have a, a trap under the sink. sometimes for whatever reason, if a renovation was w- was done, there might be some water sitting horizontally in a pipe that never properly drains and allows them to uh, um, allows them to, to, to find a place to, to breed if that, organic matter that's that's built up can be eliminated through the means of a brush and then the plumbing can be can be fixed so that it drains properly your issue should disappear
1: okay good luck with that Lori. Rhonda in alder grove hi Rhonda. go ahead
2: hey good morning good timing for our family um every time about this year time of year we get these tiny 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 little ants that show up in our basement they only last literally for three four days tops um we can spray them with ant killer or whatever but i'm just wondering if a little tiny ant like that could actually cause any problems or if what we're doing just killing them annually is uh, sufficient
3: might interesting tiny ants for just a couple of days of the of the year to be honest um i'm i'm not uh, um if you if you could have a look on our on our, on, our, on our website, I'd be more than happy to take a look at a, at a sample picture if you could send one to us. Um, just trying to guess over the phone anything that's that small and is only showing up for a couple of days of the year, I wouldn't be concerned in terms of it doing any structural damage. Um, well, that it does, that does, not like,
1: so- does not sound like carpenter ants then. It's not carpenter ants. Yeah. I don't think it's
3: even pavement ants. Um, it's too early in the season for it to be moisture ants. They would be showing up for a couple of days in in, in August. Um, yeah, if you could, you could uh, send a, send a picture to our contact page. I'd be happy to try and figure out what that is.
1: Okay, Rhonda, please do that. Send a photo to Mike. Look up uh, West Side Pest Control online, and you'll find a contact page there. Send that photo to Mike, and I know he'll take a look at it. Just remind him you you brought it up on the radio. He'll know what you are talking about. Michael and Poco. Hi, Michael. Go ahead. Hi guys, uh, thanks for taking my call. I have a big slab
0: of concrete in the back as a driveway, and it's sectioned off by about
3: in, four, in about six sections. So, in during the springtime and close to summer, there's the, the ants. They start to dig out, and they bring out just a whole bunch of sand. So, how can I how can I deter them for? like uh from doing that and then coming into the house afterwards cuz they come into the basement suite and I just I like I can't get to them cuz they're underneath the concrete. Mm. So, yeah. So what you're describing to me, I'm quite certain is is pavement ants um in terms of them doing significant structural damage, it's relatively minor. However, over time as they continue to to excavate, obviously the removing some of that sand. So it could cause in the long-term cracks or um, uh, it could cause areas to, to, to sink um, to try to eliminate them. I mean, the the best thing you can do almost any over the counter product that has ants on the label from your local hardware store, try to find something with a, with a straw that, that comes with the ant treatment and, Get that straw and get the product into the into the ground. These nests can really spread out. They can have up to a hundred thousand in a colony. So wow. um, don't be afraid to 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 empty a quarter of a can on each of those sand piles. And then I would use the same product to just treat around the corners of your uh, of your back door okay. or any other entrances and adjacent to that to the to the house. Um, and that should help a lot.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. My guest is Mike Laundrie from Westside Pest Control. Always a super popular guest. If you have questions about springtime pest control around your home, this is the guy you want to talk to. Phone him right now, 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on your cell. Lots of calls still coming in. Lori in Vancouver. Hi, Lori, go ahead.
4: Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. I have a quick question. I'm another ant person. Um, it was last week, and on my counter, I lifted something up. There was a swarm of ants anyways, I cleaned everything down and uh, and then I sprayed around the the bottoms but anyways i 'm still seeing ants and they're they're like they 're even on the walls or in the wall in the bathroom they 're in the wall the back uh, thing in the kitchen, the backsplash Thanks. and um and i don't know where they're coming from and they're making me crazy but it seems like they do crawl under the baseboard by the dog water bowl so i don't know what to do
1: oh boy okay mike
3: uh so lori would you would you describe the ants as larger or smaller than a, a than a grain of rice
4: little tiny black guys oh okay, yeah, little really tiny, black, tiny ones. black guys
3: okay all right yeah they're probably they're probably pavement ants then um it's a little bit early but they do often Start appearing in people's homes as as early as March and April. Um, we see them more predominantly in people's homes early and even throughout the winter if they have heated floors or they're slab on grade, like houses in, in, in Richmond, for instance. Um, okay. My suggestion for you, if you haven't tried any any baits yet, any boric acid based bait is a great idea. The great thing about small ants like this and treating them with a with a bait. The domestic baits you get in the harbour store are actually fantastic. The strong commercial baits that we have access to can be can be too strong for them to be able to take back to their colony. I would start with that. However, given the amount of activity that you're seeing, you're probably going to end up wanting to call a professional company to come in and take a look at it.
1: Okay. 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 Thank you. Thank you for that. Good, good luck with that, Lori. Daryl in South Surrey. Hi, Daryl. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi, Mike and Mike. Um, I got two
0: problems here. Uh, my neighbor noticed in my mom's chimney, she lives down in Kitts, a squirrel carrying uh, uh, cardboard and newspaper and stuff down there to build a nest. I was wondering where I get one of those one-way
3: doors to put on a, it. A, it's an unused chimney from wood burning. Mm, Mike. Okay, um, I, you sh- you should be able to get something on on Amazon. To be honest, if you Google Google one way one way scroll door, um, they they should come up. and And uh, retail price on something like that should be about fifty bucks. I would I would expect. Um, and uh, the installation of them is fairly self explanatory. The only thing I would I would remind, if you're installing one, make sure that the the that the door, the flap that comes up and down, goes down when it's in a closed position as opposed to the other way around because if it's installed upside down, the squirrels might be able to get back in.
1: You <laughs> don't want your one-way door leading the squirrels in and they can't get out. You want them to go the other way, right? Exactly. Yeah, okay. And is that common to go down a chimney? Uh, Yeah, we do see squirrels
3: that um one thing i would add to that if they are going down the chimney this time of year they sometimes will nest on top of the flue so i would before installing that one-way door get into the put your head inside the fireplace kind of shake the flue around a little bit the 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 cover if if you can if there is one if it's a wood-burning fireplace um but have a very good listen because if there's young ones in there that squirrel is going to do more damage than you want to think about to
1: the outside of the house if she's removed from okay. her babies. Okay, Daryl, good luck for that. Jeff in Vancouver. Hi, Jeff, go ahead. Uh, good morning, and uh, welcome to your guest. Uh, condo, uh, living, uh, concrete, uh, small bathroom, and a small hallway just beside each other. And there seems to be, uh, well, once a week, once every two weeks,
0: silverfish, one or two of them. Oh. Uh, what's a good, is there a paste or anything you can put down that they
1: don't like and we'll move on? Oh, those silverfish, man! I hate those things. I got them in my place too, Mike. Well, I mean, I mean, they they do love bathrooms and they do love
3: kitchens. The, the 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 one thing that you have to your advantage immediately being in the bathroom. So long as you have a bathroom fan, turn it on twenty four hours a day for the next month if you can bear the noise, because they're unable to reproduce under those low under those low levels of of, of humidity. And then in addition to that. Put out some glue boards. You can purchase them really cheap from almost any hardware store. Just a sticky glue board. They like adhesives and they like cellulose. So the paper and the glue is an attractant. They get stuck on it. Stop them from reproducing. You'll probably knock the levels or levels down by quite a bit. If that doesn't work, uh, most domestic insecticide sprays will definitely kill a lot of them on, on contact. Um, obviously be sure to ventilate the space and vacate your your apartment for a couple of hours after the application
1: okay thanks for the call jeff adam in coquitlam hi adam go ahead hey
0: mike thanks for taking my call um this has been a regular occurrence my i live in a ground level basement suite and i want to say they're they're wood beetles they're the little gray oval bugs i've been calling them wood beetles they I notice
3: like a bunch of like dead ones popping up in the corner around the ba- around my baseboard, and occasionally see some live ones crawling around my plates. I've sprayed some Raid, and then that seems to get rid of them for a little bit. But then uh, maybe a couple months later they come back, and I'm just wondering for what. First off, am I call Am I getting them by the right name? And then how do you get rid of them? Okay, Mike. So I think you're referring to sow bugs or wood bugs. It's really common to see them. in in basements or on the ground level in a slab on on grade house. These bugs like to live between between moist soil and a solid object. So they like to reside near the foundation of the house. What happens when it rains a lot, there's not enough oxygen anymore. So they get literally flushed inside the house. But then, unfortunately, there's not enough moisture for them inside the house. So they usually dry up and, and die. Spraying them is really just and you're basically just killing them twice because it's likely to happen anyways the best thing that you can do is put some silicone or other caulking along the bottom of the baseboards to physically prevent them from entering
1: Okay, Adam, good luck with that. Star 9898 is the number to call on your cell phone. Star 9898. John in Langley. Hi, John, go ahead.
4: Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, What we're having
1: here, they look
0: like little black words, but actually I think they're what uh, a neighbor calls them millipedes. They're about an inch long and, oh, maybe the size of a very thin lead pen lead you know the lead in a pencil and they, they seem to be more prominent after when we get a lot of rain they they come up the the expansion cracks in the patio concrete and they're in the carport and our house is white stucco and they love to climb they i go out and brush them off the wall and it, they crunch when you walk on them what what are they and what can i do about them
3: mike yeah those definitely are millipedes and um, for instances in inside the house it's almost the same uh, the same treatment as I would have suggested for the for the wood bugs previously uh, if you're seeing them inside or in in the carport um, do your best to seal any cracks and and crevices um, depending on where the cracks are in the garage if, if they if it's if it's an expansion joint then my suggestion would would be to use um, a flexible ad- adhesive like a flexible filiflex type product so that um, you're stealing them out, but not destroying the properties of what that expansion joint is supposed to do.
1: Okay, John. Good luck with that, man. Let's go to Jim on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah, nobody seems to be talking about one of the most insidious uh, pests of them all, even in commercials that uh, regarding uh, pest control. Uh, they talk about ants and flies and um, squirrels and mice, but uh, not these creatures. And that is uh, bed bugs. Oh. Are they rare, or just nobody has them, or I'm just kind of curious about that oh. one. Oh, people got them, and I know they can be a nightmare, Mike. So
3: I think it's just one of those things that people get, but they don't like to talk to their friends about or... Yeah. or- or or post or or anything to that to that degree. Uh, our company actually hasn't treated bed bugs for about twelve years. It's not one of the services that we do. But I personally have done them a lot in the in in the past. And yes, they are they are a huge challenge. Um, there has been some some good developments over the past few years in terms of more effective products to get rid of them. Um, but it's usually a multi-visit multi-pronged approach that requires a lot of cooperation between the person living in the suite and the pest control applicator they are unfortunately typically not a pest unlike things like silverfish that can be treated by the homeowner it normally requires professional help
1: yeah it really i yeah i've known some people have had, gone through that and it can be a nightmare but yeah you got to get a professional in to help with that for sure hey mike I'm very grateful to you for all your time today. What is your uh, website there if people want to check it out? WestsidePest.com. WestsidePest.com. Mike, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Mike.